is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. What an honor and a privilege it is to sit in for Mark Levin today. I'm Larry O'Connor. The number here is 877-381-3811, 3811. A lot to talk about today on the day after Independence Day uh, is certainly about the empty seat on the Supreme Court that the president is expected to announce a, a replacement for this coming Monday. That seems to be what everyone's talking about. And I have my suspicions about this Mr. Kavanaugh that seems to be uh, everybody's favorite choice. I'm going to get to that a little later on in the program. Uh, right now, I want to talk about my old friend and my mentor, Andrew Breitbart. And I want to discuss how uh, one of his statements from the past has been uh, sort of misinterpreted and misunderstood, in my opinion. Uh, that has to do with him declaring war. You remember this whole thing about Andrew Breitbart, war. You know, every everything uh, post-Andrew Breitbart's tragic death in 2012, when, when we on the right, especially those of us in the conservative media, uh, whether we're bloggers, online journalists, uh, radio hosts, podcasters, TV, whoever, whatever we're doing, uh, even if you're just in your Facebook page getting into an argument with your lefty liberal brother-in-law or at the coffee machine arguing with the guy in the cubicle next to you who thinks that everything that Bernie Sanders says is gospel, uh, whenever you start engaging in that argument, when you get into that debate and you want to embolden yourself, you know, you start to think, I'm part of Andrew Breitbart's war. This is the war, right? So so many of us jump into that. You've even seen it as a hashtag on social media if you if you hang out in those realms, right? Hashtag war. Uh, my very good friend Dana Lash, uh, you know her, I'm sure, from her great work with the NRA and NRA TV. Uh, she's always doing the war thing, and I get that. Uh, John Nolte, who still writes at the Breitbart News websites, who's a, a, a absolute and totally devoted warrior when it comes to going against the mainstream media and discovering their deceit. He's 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 there with the war. Even the the uh, very uh, intellectual and mild-mannered Ben Shapiro gets into the war sometimes, right? It's war, war, war. Well, what is this war, really? Was Andrew Breitbart really at war with everyone? Was he constantly a guy who was fighting a war? Or was this war remark actually a very, very specific fight that he was willing and able to engage in? And and is the war actually finally finding its context with, ironically, our current commander-in-chief, the, the, the person who is the commander-in-chief of our actual armed forces, well, has Donald Trump actually taken the figurative war that Andrew Breitbart was fighting, and has he actually fulfilled the original context of Andrew Breitbart's war? Let's explore this for a moment. Uh, first of all, something you should know about me. I used to work with Andrew Breitbart. I was the editor-in-chief of what was then called Breitbart TV. Uh, he hired me. I was, I think, the seventh or eighth person to be hired for the Breitbart sites. It was before it was what you know now as Breitbart News Network. And when Andrew Breitbart started, he had big government, big Hollywood, big journalism, Breitbart TV. Breitbart.com, which is now the in, encapsulation of all of those sites put together as Breitbart News Network, Breitbart.com was really just a, a wire service. It would uh, be sort of a, 
clearinghouse for AP, UPI, all of the various wire services. And it was very news-oriented, but the opinion, the the, the fight, the the act, active uh, uh, activism at, at Andrew Breitbart's command, that was all done on the blog sites, on the big government, big Hollywood Breitbart TV. And I was in charge of Breitbart TV. We took uh, videos, we took uh, audio embedded into video. It was a little ahead of its time, actually, at the time. And I was the editor-in-chief starting in uh, 2010. He actually hired me to write for the sites in late 2009, and then by mid-2010, that's when I became the editor-in-chief of Breitbart TV. And I started a streaming radio program then, and, well, one thing led to another, and now I'm the afternoon drive host on WMAL in Washington, D.C. That's uh, Mark Levin's station, Uh, not only the station that he's on, but also the station he listens to since the bunker is located in our broadcast area. Uh, so WMAL in Washington is really, frankly, I think the most influential talk radio station in the country. So I'm a very happy man to have my three o'clock to six o'clock uh, right after rush, right before Mark Levin. Not a bad place to be. But it all started because of Andrew Breitbart. It all started when I was one of those seven or eight people working out of his basement. Well, technically at the time, only three or four of us actually would go to his basement. Uh, many of us were working all over the place, right? And, and we were able to sort of see Andrew Breitbart and be a part of Andrew Breitbart's growth as such a leader of our movement, of the conservative movement, and most specifically of those of us who were in the conservative media world. He, he was an icon. He was a leader. He was someone that we could all look up to. And I remember, I'll, I'll set the scene for you, when, when the war remark was first put into play, It was CPAC 2012, ironically, just a few weeks before Andrew Breitbart tragically passed away. It was the main room at the Marriott Wardman Park Hotel. That's where CPAC used to be. These cozy little D.C. confines. We were all stepping over each other because it was so crowded and it was kind of an old-fashioned hotel on Connecticut Avenue. Ironically, just a, a stone's throw from the National Zoo. Well, we had a zoo of our own going there at the Marriott. And the room was cramped. It was full of anticipation, ready for Andrew Breitbart, our next speaker. Now, in prior years, he addressed the CPAC conferees oftentimes on a Saturday morning. It was interesting. They always put him on Saturday morning because, see, Saturday morning, that's actually when Mark Levin now gets his uh, chance to do his speech sometimes. That's the last year at CPAC. He was Saturday morning. And there's a reason for that. Because on Saturday morning, they want to get somebody who will be a draw for the faithful. People who will, you know, overcome the pains of hangover Saturday as many of us call it, who have attended CPAC over the years. You know, I'll, I'll get past what I'm feeling right now because of last night's parties, the Friday night parties at CPAC, but I'll show up and I'll be there because I want to hear Mark Levin. Or back then, I want to hear Andrew Breitbart. But this time, he was a main speaker. And earlier that morning, he and I had actually filled in for a, a national radio host, uh, Dennis Miller, in fact, uh, at the time. And we, we hosted that show together from the radio row at CPAC. And this was at a time when the primaries for the 2012 were in full tilt. It was Mitt Romney versus Newt Gingrich versus Rick Santorum, right? And I remember talking. I can't remember if it was on the air or off the air because with Andrew Breitbart, you could never really tell. But I remember him remarking that he was so tired of the primary process because he hated it when we were all arguing with each other. He didn't care who the nominee was in 2012. He just wanted somebody so that we could fight Obama. His argument, his fight was with the left. And he wanted the primaries to just be over with so we could all coalesce behind a nominee and go after Obama, keep Obama from getting his reelection, right? And understand, Occupy Wall Street was going on at the time. 
And as far as he was concerned, Occupy Wall Street was the perfect personification of Barack Obama's presidency. Their their thug-like behavior, these organized anarchists polluting America's streets, uh, it, and and these hypocritical criminals who were who were living in filth because of their well-funded political cause. They were making a lot of money. These organized Wall Street groups were. They were very well funded, but they all lived in filth and they dirtied our streets for their own political purposes. He hated Occupy. And he wanted that to be the fight. He was ready for that fight. So here we are in the CPAC main ballroom ready for for Andrew Breitbart's speech. The lights dim and a giant screen descends. And suddenly we're watching the trailer for a movie called Hating Breitbart. And it started like this. Here's cut one. I am so sick of the media dictating the terms of the narrative in this country. I'm so sick of having to be apologetic for who I am. I'm so sick of people in middle America being called a flyover country or slope-headed. Yeah, and and then it immediately cuts to all of these uh, interspersed uh, video clips of Rachel Maddow and and Keith Oberman and Anderson Cooper and all these other people in the mainstream media doing exactly that, deriding and castigating and and mocking various grassroots conservative groups, calling them tea baggers, insulting them, treating them like their voices aren't important, like they don't have a legitimate right to speak out about the leftward lurch of our country under Barack Obama. That's how that trailer was set up. And then it ended with this. And what the left has stood for with political correctness is to try and get those with whom they disagree to shut up. And the the Tea Party movement and Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and Alan West and and all all the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media and said, you're going to call us racist. You're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's you. War. War. And the place went nuts. The place went absolutely insane for that message. And understand something about that last word where you heard him say it, war. He said it with a smile on his face. He said it with that that mischievous, impish little expression that only Andrew Breitbart had and only Andrew Breitbart could carry off in saying war. Because you have brought this. You want a war? I'll meet you on the battlefield. War. But 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 everyone focuses on war. As if Andrew Breitbart and his entire legacy was about constantly engaging in a war. But understand, he was responding. Everything that he said right before the word war. How, how the Tea Party movement and Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and Alan West and the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media, and you're going to call us racist? You're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's? Blank you. War. You see, the war is in response to the tactics of the left. The war is in response to the mainstream media. And activists on the left who say, because you care about this country, because you are upset about the direction of this country because you want to 
return this country to the basic values and principles that it was founded upon, that there's something wrong with you, that you're the crazy one, that you're the racist one, that you're the potential terrorist? Okay, I'll fight that war. That was Andrew Breitbart's war. That's what he was ready to engage in. That's what he did engage in. That's what his legacy was at that time. And so so how is that relevant today? What has that got to do with President Trump? Well, it seems obvious, doesn't it? I mean, look at President Trump's rallies. Look at the way President Trump presents himself as commander-in-chief, as the president of the United States. Look at how he engages in that war with the mainstream media. And how often is his willingness to fight these people, even in ways that I don't always agree with. I know you don't always agree with them. I know you wish he would put down the Twitter once in a while. I'm with you. I know I wouldn't say the things that President Trump says. You probably wouldn't say the things that President Trump says. You might even think that it's unprecedented. It probably is by every definition of modern times unpresidential. But he fights and he continues to fight and he won't let it go and he won't put it down. And he does that more often than not, not to defend himself, not to fight for himself, not to push back about things that are said about him. Oftentimes, more often than not, it's to fight for you. It's to fight for me. It's to push back against the mainstream media's suggestion that, oh, sure, you want to call him Hitler, that's fine. But as Donnie Deutsch said last week, it's not about Trump being the next Hitler. Because the people who support Trump, the people who voted for Trump, if he's Hitler, that makes them Nazis. And that's the war that he's now fighting. Finally, Andrew Breitbart's iconic war prophecy of 2012 has now reached fruition with this president, and he's actually fighting it using the bully pulpit of the Oval Office. It's more than Andrew Breitbart could have ever imagined. I think, and I'm often asked, hey, you worked with Andrew, you knew Andrew, and by the way, anyone who worked with Andrew was also Andrew's friend, that was the beauty of working at Breitbart back in those early days when we were all renegades, when when we were the, the pirate ship of the internet, and so his loss was that much harder for all of us because not only did we lose our boss, but we lost, lost our friend. And I'm often asked, well, what would Breitbart think about Trump? And the only honest answer to that question is I have no idea. And and anyone who tells you otherwise, one way or the other, you shouldn't trust them completely. Because we don't have any idea. Most of us who worked with him on a daily basis would get be surprised every single day about a decision he made or something that he decided to do. Because you could never know with Andrew. I don't know what he would think about Donald Trump, the president. I don't know what I would think he would think of Donald Trump, the conservative. I'm pretty sure what he would think about Donald Trump, the warrior against the media. I think we have a pretty darn good roadmap on that one. Now, now in a minute, I'm going to give you some very real world examples of how Donald Trump, in some of the the moments where he has been most ridiculed, uh, most ripped apart by the mainstream media and the left and by the never-Trump establishment Republicans, 
I'm going to explain to you that in those moments, some of the most notorious moments from President Trump, he is actually doing exactly what Breitbart laid out in that clip, in that war that he was willing to fight against the left and against the mainstream media. Remember his comments about John McCain? Yeah. I'll explain why that's a perfect example here in just a moment. Keep it right here. I'm Larry O'Connor, and this is The Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Today on the Mark Levin Show, 877-381-3811. I promised you the John McCain, the notorious John McCain prisoner of war audio of Donald Trump and how that actually in its own way is the first example in the Trump campaign back in the day of, of fighting Andrew Breitbart's war, the war that Andrew Breitbart talked about uh, right before he passed away. I'm going to get to that uh, coming up in a moment. All right, We don't have enough time to get to it, but I'll give you one other example real fast here. Uh, This one I can do quickly. Remember how Trump was uh, constantly mocked and made fun of at a rally when he said, I'm very big with the uh, undereducated. I love the uneducated. I love the uneducated. Oh, how could you say that? That's so analytical. Well, the reason was there was a week's worth of media mockery of Trump voters for being uneducated. They were saying you were dumb. And so what was he saying? You're not dumb. I love you. All right, a little bit more coming up. Give me a call, 877-381-3811. This is Radio Free America on The Mark Levin Show. Call now, 877-381-3811. And I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. You can follow me on Twitter at Larry O'Connor. That's with an O-R. And I'm the uh, regular afternoon host on WMAL in the nation's capital, Washington, the district of Columbia. And I want to get back to this this issue of this, I think, misinterpreted idea that Andrew Breitbart was constantly at war with everybody. He was a lovable teddy bear. Even people of the left. I'm on Fox News a lot with this uh, Leslie Marshall. N- nice lady, uh, liberal, completely wrong about everything. Uh, she's a She does radio, I think, out in L.A., and she said, oh, I knew Andrew. Oh, oh, I loved Andrew. That, that it's, it's very common that you run into people who knew Andrew Breitbart, who – Lawrence O'Donnell, I remember. I had a great conversation with Lawrence O'Donnell one time uh, about Andrew Breitbart. He loved Andrew Breitbart. They all had respect for Andrew Breitbart. They all liked Andrew Breitbart, even the people who disagreed with him the most and who publicly acted like they didn't like him, Right. Uh, He was not a guy who was constantly looking for a war and looking for a fight. But in particular, uh, this moment at the CPAC 2012 where they played the trailer for Hating Breitbart, a great film by Andrew Marcus that followed Andrew Breitbart around, he used this term war, but it was specifically in response to what the media and the left were saying about you. Let's, Let's play it one more time. This is cut number two, Andrew Breitbart. And what the left has stood for with political correctness is to try and get those with whom they disagree to shut up. And the the Tea Party movement and Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and Alan West and and all the all the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media and said, you're going to call us racist. You're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's you. War. That's the war. 
that's the war. You're going to say that about us? You're going to say that about us Americans who are just trying to preserve what's left of the liberty and freedom that this nation was founded on? And you're going to say that we're potential Timothy Convey, that we're racist? All right. There's your war. And 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 if I may, I believe that that war has finally found its context with Donald Trump as president because he's actually carrying it out. He's actually fighting that war, which brings us to this infamous moment, probably uh, the first time that people started to you know abandon ship on the idea of the Donald Trump presidency if they were starting to get worried about it. Very early on in the campaign, July of 2015, he's sitting with Frank Luntz and 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 this is when he said that uh, John McCain is he really a prisoner of war? Is, is he a hero? I don't know. My heroes don't get captured. Uh, listen, I, I again, I wouldn't say it. You wouldn't say it. It's 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 inappropriate to say about somebody who was in fact a prisoner of war and went through what John McCain went through. But context is important in these things. And then listen, I I know Megan McCain and and I know Megan McCain's husband Ben Dominic and they're friends. They are Ben's a good friend. And 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 listen, I want my daughter to fight for me someday the way Meghan McCain fights for her father's legacy. This this has nothing to do with that. And it really doesn't have much to do with John McCain. It has to do with understanding where that comment came from, because understand something. This whole feud with Donald Trump and John McCain was born out of a New Yorker article. You see, people forget about this. Donald Trump went to Phoenix and had an, a rally in support of his really quaint notion that we enforce our border security, build a wall, and actually enforce our immigration laws as written. I know. It was, it was so outside the box at the time, wasn't it? It was crazy, this talk. And Ryan Lizza of The New Yorker had an interview with John McCain, and he asked him about that. And this is the quote now from John McCain. This is what John McCain said. This performance with our friend out in Phoenix is very hurtful to me because what he did was he fired up the crazies. John McCain said of the people in his state who came to an anti-immigration, anti-illegal immigration rally that they were the crazies. And so this is how the conversation went with Donald Trump. Referring to, to John McCain, a war hero, five and a half years as a POW, and you call him a dummy. Is that appropriate in running for president? Okay. Uh, let's, you got to let me speak, though, Frank, because you right. interrupt all the time, okay? So, no, I know him too well. That's the problem. Let's take John McCain. I'm in Phoenix. We have a meeting that is going to have 500 people at the Biltmore Hotel. We get a call from the hotel, it's turmoil. Thousands and thousands of people are showing up. Three, four days before, they're pitching tents on the hotel grass. The hotel says, we can't handle it, it's gonna destroy the hotel. We move it to the convention center. We have 15,000 people, the biggest one ever, bigger than Bernie Sanders, bigger than 15,000 people showed up to hear me speak, bigger than anybody, and everybody knows it. A beautiful day with incredible people that were wonderful, great Americans, I will tell you. John McCain goes, oh boy, Trump makes my life difficult. He had 15,000 crazies show up, crazies. He called them all crazy. I said, they weren't crazy. They were great Americans. These people, if you would have seen these people, you, I know what a crazy is. 
I know all about crazies. <laughs> These weren't crazy. So he insulted me, and he insulted everybody in that room. Okay. And I said, somebody... And so now, now, now you never hear that, do you? You never hear that part. You only hear what happened 30 seconds later when Frank Luntz jumps in and says, hey, he's a war hero. He's a war. And then Trump says, well, he's a, he's a war hero. He's a war hero. Yeah, my heroes don't get captured. But understand, th- this, this was Donald Trump pushing back in a, you know, listen, the guy's a New Yorker. You ever meet a New Yorker? They say inappropriate things when they're engaged in a fight, okay? You're not going to change that about him. And most New Yorkers. I'm sorry, New York. You know it's true. And he said this about John McCain. You, you know, John McCain, anytime John McCain has been insulted in his entire career, every single broadcast network and cable network will rush to his side to put a camera in front of him and a microphone in front of him so that he can defend himself. What about the 15,000 people in that room? John McCain's voters, who he called crazy. Who defends them? Do they get to go on ABC this week with George Stephanopoulos and say, yeah, well, actually, I'm not crazy. I just think that our laws should be enforced properly. In fact, I remember when John McCain was running for Senate and he said, you know, build the dang fence. I remember that. Uh, and now, you know, he wants to give amnesty. No, that doesn't make me crazy. No, see, see, you don't get to go on the Sunday shows and defend yourself, do you? And so John McCain can call you crazy. So Donald Trump... In the spirit of Andrew Breitbart, says you're going to call us crazy? War. Now, I, again, this is not to say that the way Donald Trump chose to fight that war that day was necessarily the way I would have fought the war. But context is important in this case, isn't it? And I wonder if this resonates with you. When you, when you see and hear and understand, especially in light of the last several days with the mainstream media once again doing what they do with this president and going after him and calling him every name in the book and, and dragging our country down on the occasion of our Independence Day and deciding that this is a time to say, well, you know, America's celebrating, but not everyone's celebrating because they're afraid that Hitler's in the White House. What do you think about that, Anderson? That's what we're hit with every day. Well, does this resonate with you, that this is not just a... a uh, some uh, loose cannon in the White House who is uh, temperamental and and you know needs his riddle in and and can't put his Twitter machine down. No, this is a guy who is systematically speaking out and pushing back against the insults that you have to endure and have endured for decades on a daily basis. And finally, someone has said enough. War. Does that resonate with you? Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Let's go to uh, Mike in Indianapolis. Mike, you are on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hey, Larry. It resonates with me from the bottom of my feet to the longest strand of hair on my head. <laughs> man, I, you know what? I tell people, I've been telling people, man, for about 15, 20 years, if we ever got a successful businessman in the White House who would run this country more like a business, and less like a charity, we would be more profitable and could be more charitable. <laughs> the, the reality is that Donald Trump, and I was telling your screeners, he exposes people. Think about it. And, and, and it's funny just how, it, you know what? It's funny. We thought about, uh, 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 what's the thing, George Bush and kind of that whole Bush derangement syndrome that right. was going on back when he was president. Yeah, that, that was like a mild cold compared yeah, to the yeah. influenza we've got now. 
I was just going to say Donald Trump would give his right arm to have that kind of treatment. Right. And it, and at this point, it, it, it's funny because what he does is he exposes people. And I don't know if it's just because he's just so truthful and he's so straight and he's so blunt about everything, but he's also very smart. He's man. He's got to be among the sharpest seventy-year-old people you'll you'll ever come across. Very energetic, but he. But I think yeah. he's just he. He's well, a, he's, he's very a, quick. You watch him at any of these rallies, and man, he 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 is very quick. The way he turns on a dime and just finds his one-liners. And just yeah. to reference something that you played um, regarding that John McCain comment. Yeah. Um, most people don't know that that whole Rosie O'Donnell is a pig comment that he made. That came from, if you were, I don't know if you remember Carrie Prejean. She was one of his contestant winners in, in one of his pageants. Mm-hmm. And I think she had uh, like a boyfriend who had exposed some uh, nude pictures of her, uh, something like that, after she had won the, the contest. Well, the view, when Rosie was on the view, they they brought up that issue. They showed the press conference or whatever. And then they all just went on attack on Donald Trump for not, I guess, basically taking the crown away from Carrie Prejean. Yeah. And, and he and stood Rose, by her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He stood by her. And she and, and Rosie O'Donnell made made, you know, just a whole bunch of insults about her insults about Trump yeah. and Trump's response to that was like a day or two later. And he called her a pig for basically how she responded to him standing by his contestant. That's a great point, Mike. And, and the, the, thank you for the call. And thanks for listening out in uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Go go Indians, by the way. Great minor league team there in Indy. Uh, it's a great point. But, you, you know, this context, and again, I just want to reiterate, uh, we all have our different styles. We all have our different modes of operation and the way we engage in the daily fight that we have over ideas. I don't do it the way Donald Trump does, but guess what? I also haven't won the Oval Office. And, and But this context of of his remarks never get put out there. You know, it, it's it's never he's never afforded the the benefit of the backstory. You only get the line that he says, the line that he delivers, which, yes, on the face of it, Rosie O'Donnell's a pig. Well, well God, why are you attacking Rosie O'Donnell? Why would you call her a pig? By the way, that reminds me of, of one of my other favorite moments of Donald Trump at that debate when Megyn Kelly, you know, famously began with, you've called women this and that and that and that and Trump without missing a beat. Well, to be fair, I was talking about Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> I've got to tell you, he wasn't my candidate at that moment, but uh, but but he did increase in favor for me at that time. Uh, Bonita, Farmington, New Mexico, is that? You're on uh, the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hi, Bonita. Hi, Larry. How are you? I'm good. It's Thanks for calling. It's great to be on the Mark Levin Show, and it's great to meet you, Larry. Thank you. Um, interestingly, I hadn't actually started listening to the show much when I called in to give the information that I was going to give, but it's very apropos. My husband, actually years ago when Hillary was running, running against Obama in the primaries, he had actually created a bumper sticker, Donald Trump for president. Ah. And um, Your husband, I the was, prophet. My husband, huh? Your husband, the prophet. Yes. And he was really wanting Donald Trump to run at that time. And he wasn't really putting any information out that he was going to at that time. And then, of course, the, 
he did end up running and winning, fortunately. Well, I was more in the primary, the Republican primary. I was more of a Dr. Ben Carson fan. And I had heard Ben Carson speak years ago when he first produced his book, Gifted Hands, and I'd had it autographed by him. Mm -hmm. And I was very impressed with who Dr. Ben Carson was. And so I was really, you know, Trump was rubbing me a little bit curse in his ways. I understood his business principles, and I thought it was great in that regard, but I was a little bit turned off by his curseness. Until, do you remember that one moment in the Republican debates, and I don't remember which one it was, but Dr. Ben Carson, everybody was being called out to come out on stage, and Dr. Ben Carson's name was called, but he obviously didn't hear it. Yeah. And so he didn't go out on stage. And I believe it was, I think I remember seeing Mr. Bush. Yeah, there was there was a log jam there in the wings, and then somebody just walked right past uh, Carson uh, to take their name because the doctor didn't hear his name. Yeah, I remember this vividly. And it was Trump to the rescue, wasn't it? Rand Paul was another one that yeah. heard his name, and they kind of looked at him as if, uh, don't you know what the yeah. calories Yeah, and they just shrugged, and they just kept going. And then, and go, Benita, I, get, I need you to get to it. Trump Trump ended up saving the day, right? He did. His yeah. name was called, but he wouldn't go on stage until Dr. Carson had his time to go on stage. Yeah, and, th- and that and that moment you decided, okay, this guy's all right. I, I remember that, Benita. Thank you for the call. In fact, that was, I know vividly, it was the New Hampshire debate. Uh, during the two days before the New Hampshire primary. And I was actually up in New Hampshire because I actually was part of that debate. I was working for the website IJ Review at the time, and we were the co-sponsor of that debate with ABC News. And so I actually got to ask a question of the candidates. And uh, we were all watching from the press room when this debacle happened with the announcement and the log jam and everyone colliding like a train wreck backstage. And we were just like, oh, great, great. This is how our debate starts with this. They can't even get on stage. Uh, more of your reaction to this as I as I lay out what I think is the real context of the famous iconic war declaration from Andrew Breitbart. It wasn't a war on this country. It isn't even war on individuals in this country. It was a war to defend you against the slanderous accusations of the left, the demeaning criticism and, and insults that you've had to endure. And it's now reached fruition with this president actually fighting that war, fighting that war for you. Want to hear more from you at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. This is the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. I'm Larry O'Connor filling in for Mark Levin here from the nation's capital where you can hear me every day on WMAL radio. That's WMAL.com. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation, but a lot of you are trying to get in and want to jump in. I asked you if this resonated with you. Clearly it does. Trump actually fighting the war that Andrew Breitbart first declared. But it's a war against the left and how they're attacking you unfairly just because you want to preserve our nation and keep a liberty ringing free from coast to coast. So we'll continue this conversation, and we will get into the topic du jour, who's going to fill Kennedy's seat on the Supreme Court bench. There's a whole lot of anti-Catholic mania out there. We'll expose it, we'll fight back, and we'll tell you who we think should get that seat. So go nowhere, America. I'm Larry O'Connor, and this is The Mark Levin Show. 
come from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin today. Numbers 877-381-3811, Of course, it's MarkLevinShow.com and social media, Twitter, Facebook. It's all Mark Levin Show. That's where I follow the great one. Find out what's on his mind. And certainly what's been on his mind today is the Supreme Court and this full court press, it seems, if you pardon the pun, to get this Brett Kavanaugh guy on the court. Uh, boy, it's amazing. It's almost a conservative uh, excuse me, concerted, not conservative, concerted, uh, coordinated effort to just make Brett Kavanaugh the the nominee. Where'd that come from? And should we be okay with that? I'm going to get into that a little bit later on and also talk about uh, one of the other nominees who I think would be a fantastic choice, especially because, well, she's ticked off all the right people. Because she happens to be a faithful Catholic. We'll, we'll talk about that all coming up in a moment. I do want to get your reaction here. I asked if this idea resonated with you. Just to reset a little bit here, I remind you of the origins of Andrew Breitbart's so-called war. You know, you see this hashtag war a lot associated with Andrew Breitbart and many people on the conservative uh, media plantation right where we're all sort of doing our best it takes a dozen of us to try to do what that one man andrew breitbart was capable of doing i worked with him i was there i witnessed so much of it and that day in particular when he said or when it became famous where he declared war so-called war it was at the speech that he gave at cpac 2012 just weeks before his tragic untimely passing where they showed the trailer for the documentary film called hating breitbart that was due out later that year And it began like this. I am so sick of the media dictating the terms of the narrative in this country. I'm so sick of having to be apologetic for who I am. I'm so sick of people in middle America being called a flyover country or slope-headed. And that's exactly what was going on right then with the grassroots Tea Party movement that Andrew Breitbart and Mark Levin were spearheading and and leading in many respects and, and energizing in many respects. And and toward the end of that trailer, after showing many people like Rachel Maddow and Keith Oberman and Anderson Cooper, Bill Maher mocking, deriding, insulting, uh, spitting on you figuratively for being a liberty-loving, freedom-loving American who just wanted to return our country in 2012 after four years of Barack Obama back to what you understood our nation to be, what we were supposed to stand for. And Andrew Breitbart then said, because of what we believe, because of what we say, you want to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's? You want to call us racist? Well, blank you, he said. War. And and my thesis is that we're finally seeing the full context of that war playing out before our very eyes with the commander-in-chief, Donald Trump. Almost every time he gets himself into so-called mainstream media trouble— for some sort of injudicious... I mean, he's speaking right now. He's giving a rally right now, I think, in Montana. And I'll guarantee you, he is, people on CNN's heads are exploding right now because of something that he might say. I can't wait to see what the Chirons say, you know, about something that President Trump is saying. But more often than not, that thing that he says is to push back and fight against what they're saying about you. Not about him, but about you. About you. 
And I think that that's one of the reasons why he resonates so much with so many people who didn't show up in the polls, the Gallup polls, that is, the CNN polls, the Washington Post polls, but they sure showed up on Election Day, didn't they? And they show up at these rallies. I think it resonates. What he does, the fact that you know that he is willing to fight for you. And I wonder if if what I'm saying, if that idea actually resonates with you, if you finally feel that that's what we're witnessing right now. And it's about time. Donna in Frederick, Maryland, my my backyard here in the nation's capital. Donna, you're on the Mark Levin Show. Hi, Larry. Thank you so much for taking my call. I have to say, Andrew Breitbart did not die in vain. And it's individuals like yourself and Mark Levin and um, Chris Plant who are out there, especially even here in D.C., the blowtorch station, where people can hear that messagery and where we hear Trump following suit. It's, It's just amazing. And it's all about for the people, for this beautiful country, for liberty. Thank you, Donna. That's very sweet of you to say, and I appreciate the call. I I, 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 I could never bring myself to say that Andrew Breitbart died in vain because uh, I would trade everything, uh, even the movement, even the presidency, to have Andrew Breitbart still in my life and still walk in this planet. Uh, but I understand the sentiment behind it. I do, and I am uh, truly touched. Serena in New York. Serena, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. Uh, what do you think, Serena? I think context is absolutely everything. I mean, the media takes a sentence, a fragment, and turns it into something it's absolutely not. And it's it's sickening. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like showing a street fight and only showing, you know, the guy who's just gotten punched 17, 18 times and he finally punches back. You only show that punch back and say, Look at this thug throwing a punch in the street. Well, he just got pummeled for 17 rounds exactly or how about all the people that were allegedly being beaten up at trump rallies who was doing the beating right well we know thanks to the great work of james o'keefe we know exactly who was who was doing it it was provocateurs who were out there purposely trying to stir up violence at those rallies to to give the media narrative and and frankly listen dirty tricks serena thank you so much for the call calling from the big apple there on the great WABC, uh, the media is going to do, excuse me, politicians and political dirty tricksters are going to do what they do. I, I Honestly, in this case uh, of the violence, the so-called violence at Trump rallies, I don't necessarily blame the political dirty tricksters because this is what they do. This is what they've always done. This is what they get paid tons of money to do. Right. This guy, uh, Bob Creamer, I believe his name was married to Jan Schakowsky, congresswoman out of Evanston, Illinois. Uh, he's a political dirty trickster. He's done his time in jail, by the way. Look it up. And he he made his money that day by sending all those provocateurs as exposed by the James O'Keefe videos. It, it appears uh, he made his money sending those guys out there and stirring up trouble. I don't blame him for doing his job. I blame the media because, see, they took that story and they ran with it and they continue to tell that lie. They're the problem in this in this big picture. How about Martha, also in New York on WABC? Martha, you're on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. You bet. Uh, yes, I just wanted to, first of all, say thank you for taking up the matter of the left's 
reaction to Trump supporters, President Trump supporters, which I am one of them. I have a doctorate from Columbia University, which I'm grateful I have. It's helped me professionally to go further with my career. But I in no way see that as making me superior than to anyone else. I'm just, it's just a, a career opportunity. But the fact that the left views we Trump supporters as being intellectually inferior, deplorables, degenerates, whatever they're calling us, it's absurd. And how dare they do that? The fact is, I used to be a leftist, socialist, verging on communist, um, following the same ideology that is on the left now and the whole political correctness. And I woke up and I realized that it was a lie and that I had been deceived and that what I was uh, consenting to and agreeing with was actually setting up a coup d'etat to take down my nation mm. and destroy my people. And I just want to say I am so thankful that Mr. Trump would suffer the horrible persecution and attacks he's been suffering in order to help our nation. If he wasn't as strong as he is any other person would have given up and left the fight. So I just am so, right. so thankful for her, for him, and what he's doing, and for all of his family who are standing by him and enduring this with him. Thank Thanks, you. Martha. Thank you, Dr. Martha there in uh, New York City. Good to talk to you, and I appreciate you calling to the Mark Levin Show. Uh, and I'll say this about uh, President Trump, and I know I, do, I hear a lot of people say this, what he's enduring, what he's going through, what his family is going through, and uh, make no mistake, uh, that is absolutely the case. I have never seen in my lifetime a president have to endure from the media and from his political opponents what this president has gone through. Uh, let's remind ourselves, though, he signed up for this. He knew what he was getting into. He was stepping into the arena, and he has made his choices along the way. And I'll say this also about this president. He seems to be enjoying himself. I, I, there's, there, you know, you, you, I've always wanted to be called the happy warrior for what I do. I try to do everything I do with a smile on my face, no matter how angry I get, whether it's on TV or the radio or even in a personal appearance. I always try to keep that laugh in my voice when I can. I want to be that. But, boy, you talk about a happy warrior. You talk about a guy who is enduring all of that, and he does seem to be having the time of his life. And there's something to be said for that. It's somewhat infectious, in fact. All right, coming up, it's time to talk about the Supreme Court and uh, who's going to fill that seat. Who will the president name on Monday, as he has promised? Who's it going to be? And is it possible the fix is already in? In fact, is it possible the fix was in the moment Justice Kennedy announced his retirement? I'll give you my theory, and it's pure speculation. But, you know, that's what we do sometimes. We speculate, and I'll speculate a little bit about uh, whether the fix was in with this guy Kavanaugh and the Kennedy resignation. And also we'll talk about the anti-Catholic bigotry we're seeing from the left and why the president should stand up against us and make a big, bold move for the Supreme Court. We'll get into all of that, plus your calls, 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. This is the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Supreme Court.
court. The seat vacated by Justice Anthony Kennedy surprised a lot of people. 30 years on the bench, and he sort of came out of nowhere and decided, well, not completely out of nowhere. There was some speculation that he might be doing this, but all the smart money, the conventional wisdom here in Washington, D.C., where I am, I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. Uh, most of the conventional wisdom, smart money guys who, you know, are much smarter than you and I, they all said, yeah, no, nah, he's not going to do that. Kennedy's not going to retire. Yeah, he could. He might, you know, but he probably won't because, you know, he doesn't want he doesn't want Donald Trump to replace him. Right. And then, of course, these were all the same smart guys who told us that, well, this would be Hillary Clinton replacing Justice Kennedy on the court because there was no way Donald Trump would ever win the election, let alone get the Republican nomination, let alone, you know, win New Hampshire. Uh, but, but but those same smart guys seem to be paid a whole lot of money to continue to tell you what's going to happen because, well, they're smarter than us. They're just well, they're, they're wrong a lot. That said, the smart money was that Kennedy was going to hold out for another two years Maybe he'll retire in two years when that seat is empty, but then it'll be a presidential election. And, of course, the the president has been set with the Merrick nomination in the final year of Obama's presidency that there wouldn't be a replacement during an election year. And then we'd have an empty seat up for grabs, you know, for the presidential election that year. Now, I still think that favors the Republicans. I mean, we saw that play out this last time around. I mean, how many friends do you have? I know I've got friends. Uh, who one of the top three reasons they voted for Donald Trump is because they didn't want Hillary Clinton to be making that choice, right? I know a lot of people who made that choice. They said, listen, Trump's not my guy, not my style. You know, I'm wary. I don't even think he's a real conservative. I don't know. He used to be a Hillary lover. He used to put money into these Democrat causes. I don't trust the guy. Uh, But, you know, we know what we're going to get with Hillary Clinton selecting a Supreme Court justice we still have a chance with Trump. And boy, that paid out pretty well with Neil Gorsuch, right? So I'd be fine with having an empty seat again during the 2020 presidential election. I think that guarantees another four years of a Republican president, probably Donald Trump, right? So what happened with Kennedy? Why did Kennedy all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, defy the odds and say, yeah, this is it, I'm hanging it up? Well, I want to speculate a little bit. And I'll be honest with you. I'm just throwing it out there as a hunch, as a reading the tea leaves, uh, smelling something fishy, looking at the way things came down here. But understand something about this guy, Brett Kavanaugh. And, and you heard uh, Mark Levin talk about Brett Kavanaugh, and most importantly with regard to this idea of uh, of uh, stare decisis, right, about, about – uh, uh, precedent and how, you know, Kavanaugh seems to be, you know, on board with this whole, well, that's settled law. You know, I'm not going to do anything to overturn Roe v. Wade because that's settled law. Uh, it's funny, as Mark said, that only works when the settled law is in favor of the left, right? But uh, district court judges and certainly Supreme Court justices, they don't seem to worry about precedent when it comes time to making decisions if it's something that they can overturn that they don't like, that happens to be a conservative principle or idea. That is I don't even know how to pronounce it at that point if I'm a liberal judge. Uh, so, so what happened? Why is it that suddenly this guy is everybody's favorite here in the Beltway? All these uh, conservatives and uh, never-Trump Republicans who hate everything about this president who are now saying, oh, this would be a fantastic thing to have Brett Kavanaugh on the bench. Why is he the flavor of the month? Well, you know, he clerked with Justice Kennedy, right? I mean, he's very much in the Kennedy mold. 
And see, everyone here in Washington, especially a Supreme Court justice, especially a Supreme Court justice who's been on the bench for 30 years, when they reach the end of their careers, which usually means they're reaching the end of their lives, let's be real, they worry about one thing and one thing only, and that's their legacy. What's going to be written about them? What will be the first sentence of their obituary? What will Wolf Blitzer say about me? How sad. How sad to have that be your main concern. What what someone like Wolf Blitzer is going to say about you. But if you read enough about Anthony Kennedy and you study up on this, the fact of the matter is that if he is worried about his legacy, the one thing he wants in that first sentence of his obituary, in the first paragraph of, of his encyclopedia entry, the first thing out of Anderson Cooper's mouth when he passes away is going to be the same-sex marriage decision, the same-sex marriage ruling. This was very important to him, and he was the guy. I don't care what you think about uh, homosexuals and about same-sex marriage and about the traditional marriage. It really doesn't matter what your position is. Good people can disagree about that, but I think many people... Even if you're in favor or opposed to same-sex marriage, many people can reach the understanding that it shouldn't be something decided by one guy in a robe. But it was. It was decided by one guy in a robe. It was Anthony Kennedy. It's important to him. And if he's going to retire and let Donald Trump replace him, he's going to want to make sure that that stays. So what's at foot here? I'll explain in a moment. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. The George S. Patton of Talk Radio. Call him at 877-381-3811. That's 877-381-3811. So why all of a sudden is Brett Kavanaugh the second coming of Oliver Wendell Holmes? And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, listen, if we end up with Brett Kavanaugh filling the Kennedy seat on the Supreme Court, I, it's probably a wash, probably an improvement, perhaps, at least for the short term. Uh, it's certainly head and shoulders above, you know, whoever Hillary Clinton would have put up there. God knows. Cecile Richards, I think, the former retired CEO of Planned Parenthood, would get the seat if Hillary Clinton were president. So, no, you know, don't get me wrong. I recognize that it's a net plus, right? And let's face it, this is sort of the swing seat, right? Uh, so, so getting someone who's a little more solid than Kennedy is definitely a net bonus, uh, getting Gorsuch in there to fill Scalia's seat is pretty much a wash. It's the next seat that's the game changer, right? It's 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 the Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat that we're all waiting for. That's the game changer. That makes the biggest difference of all. But this is a 30-year decision we're about to embark upon. And why Brett Kavanaugh is suddenly, you know, the only choice, I'm not quite so sure except for this. Let's put the pieces together for a moment. And I'm Larry O'Connor. I'm sitting in for Mark Levin here on the Mark Levin Show. I do afternoons on WMAL in Washington, D.C. And, and, and I will be the first to admit that I'm doing what I hate when I see from pundits on cable news, you know, after a mass shooting or something. We don't know anything, but let's just start speculating. Let's, uh, let's start fitting our own narrative into this. Well, well I'm not, I am going to speculate. But I'm not going to do it without some level of uh, circumstantial evidence. 
to lead me to a conclusion that could very well be the case. If Kavanaugh ends up being President Trump's choice, I think that it doesn't necessarily fit in the pattern of Donald Trump's choices for other positions, not just Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court, but also in some of his cabinet selections as well. See, President Trump is a bold man. He likes to make bold statements. He also likes to tick off all of the right people. And and that's why, in keeping with that pattern, uh, it would be Amy Coney Barrett who he would choose. This is a woman... First of all, selecting a woman goes a long way for this president in terms of symbolism, in terms of pushing back on the narrative that he is in some way anti-woman or in some way his White House is not open to the idea of women advancing. Uh, And she's also a devout, faithful Catholic. And she has a clear track record as a professor, a law professor at the University of Notre Dame, and now uh, for several months on the bench of of giving us some pretty solid conservative uh, positions. She's actually not been afraid to lay down on paper exactly what she believes, unlike most stealth justices or law professors who try to keep their options open. Sadly, because of the Bork era, we've had some great minds who were afraid to actually tell us what they think, because if they did, that would keep them from the bench. And not necessarily the case with Barrett. And I want to play a little bit of of her confirmation uh, hearings for getting her uh, uh, circuit court judge uh, position, or excuse me, her uh, appeals court position uh, last year. Dick Durbin, Diane Feinstein, basically suggesting that uh, yeah, the problem with you is that you're Catholic. That's bigotry right there. That's the person that would be in keeping with Trump's style, with his personality. So if he comes up with Kavanaugh, what's at foot? Well, here's my speculation. What do we know? We know that Kennedy surprised a lot of people by announcing his resignation. We know that the smart money said that he wouldn't do this because he wouldn't want Donald Trump to replace him because that would put his legacy at risk. And that legacy is really all about same-sex marriage. We also know that Kavanaugh clerked with Kennedy. We know that he's in the mold of Justice Kennedy. We know that the second he announced his announcement, there was this full-court press Almost like it was planned and coordinated of people saying, Kavanaugh's the man, Kavanaugh's the man, you got to give it to Kavanaugh, 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 Kavanaugh. No choice but Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh's the front runner. Sources say inside the White House, anonymous tipsters say, sources inside the president's uh, inner circle tell us that Kavanaugh's got the inside track on this. Where, where did all that come from? Where did all. And we also know, by the way, remember this when President Trump announced this? At a rally, and he even said how honored he was to be the man to replace Justice Kennedy. He praised Justice Kennedy for his past decisions. And it was revealed that there were actually conversations between Justice Kennedy and Donald Trump prior to this announcement. Conversations specifically about who might replace him. Is it so far-fetched that Anthony Kennedy, a man who is now stepping down, who was very concerned about his legacy, and most specifically this decision about same-sex marriage, isn't it possible that he picked up the phone and said, President Trump, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to give you this thing, the opportunity to replace me on the bench, rather than making this draw out, rather than, you know, sitting on the bench for the next two years and making this a thing at the election and possibly, you know, handing this over to your successor. I'm going to give you this under one condition. 
Kavanaugh's the guy. Quid pro quo. The president's a deal maker. Did he make that deal? Is it possible? We'll see. We'll see Monday. But I want you to hear what Democrats think of Amy Conan Barrett. Listen here to uh, cut number four. This is Senator Dick Durbin at the time she was being confirmed. Listen. So let me ask you this question. I'm a product of 19 years of Catholic education. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, Holy Mother, the church has not agreed with a vote of mine uh, and has let me know. You use a term in that article, or you both use a term in that article I'd never seen before. You refer to Orthodox Catholics. What's an Orthodox Catholic? He's a liar. I'm a Catholic. I know the term Orthodox Catholic. I've heard the term Orthodox Catholic. I mean, it's not a capitalized word. It's not part of the church doctrine, certainly, or even an official part of the church's structure and magisterium. But it's certainly something that people who care about our faith and are serious about our faith throw around from time to time when we're trying to distinguish from certain kind of Catholics and other kind of Catholics. So he's being disingenuous at best there. And and if you listen to... Uh, to uh, Ms. Barrett, now uh, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals Judge Barrett's response, you'll understand a little bit about who she is. This is cut three. Go ahead. As I recall, that term, um, we said something like, for lack of a better term, we're using the term Orthodox Catholic, and there was a long footnote saying, you know, that that was an imperfect term. Uh, it could, you know, refer to Orthodox Judaism, you know, Greek Orthodox. And so we kind of cast about, but what that term was designed to capture because we were talking about conscientious objection, was a judge who um, accepted the church's teaching that the death penalty would be impermissible in that case. We wrote about it from the perspective of a Catholic judge because my professor, John Garvey, had already undertaken that project. But it's really a problem that could face a judge of any religion or no religion at all who had a conscientious objection to the death penalty. That's right. And, and what she was saying in that paper that she wrote was that if you are a quote-unquote Orthodox Catholic and you believe, and by the way, this is a sad thing because uh, being a complete and total faithful Catholic, adhering to the catechism of the church and the doctrine of the church, you would know that it is actually not a matter of faith and morals, that the death penalty is inherently evil, like abortion is. The fact of the matter is our our catechism and so far the pope has not instilled as a matter of faith and morals that there should be no death penalty sadly too many catholics don't understand that uh but she's saying that if in fact you're an orthodox catholic and you have those strong feelings that it's a matter of your faith that it is sinful to allow the death penalty then on a death penalty case you as a judge should recuse yourself that then gets twisted into Durbin basically making the case that as a Orthodox Catholic, as a believing Catholic, as a faithful Catholic, I'm sorry, as a serious Catholic, that she is unqualified and can't be a federal judge, let alone a Supreme Court justice. And Senator Dianne Feinstein, she actually follows up and says it in no uncertain terms. Listen. Why is it that um, so many of us on this side have this very uncomfortable feeling that, you know, dogma and law are two different things? And I think whatever a religion is, it has its own dogma. The law 
is totally different. And I think in, in your case, uh, Professor, when you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's of concern. <laughs> In other words, wow, you take this religion stuff seriously. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. You, you really think that there's a God and there's sin and there's certain things that, you know, go against God's law? Oh, oh well, you certainly couldn't sit on the bench. Not with that kind of thinking. Thank you, Senator Feinstein. It really speaks more of who these people are than it does of uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, but this is exactly why she's actually a fantastic choice. Because I love it when they display exactly who they are. I, I love it when they actually put their cards on the table and say, yeah, if you really do believe this religion stuff, there's no place for you in our government. Christians need not apply. And don't even get me started on you Orthodox Jews. Because that is what they believe. And and it takes somebody like Amy Coney Barrett to actually bring it out and draw it out from them. Let's see if the president makes that bold choice. Uh, let's start with Art in Leesburg wants to react to this. Leesburg, Virginia. Art, you are on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Thank you very much, Larry, hey. and thank you for taking my call. You have really hit the nail on the head, and because the issue of following the law comes down to the authority by which you rely on to make that decision, and unfortunately, there is, there is no such thing as an atheist, because every person has an authority on which they rely to shape their lives and make their decisions. And that's either one of two options. Either it's a divine code, which you recognize, or it's yourself. There, there's no other option. If you say you're a secularist or an atheist, essentially you're saying you're going to pick and choose, and in the end you make it a call of what is good and what is evil. Evil. That is God, when you go back to a biblical definition. Yep. God makes the call. And so that's the issue in this whole case. What is the authority by which people are going to look upon to make these decisions? Now, let me give you, let me put it in the context of the popular, you know, how do I say, it, difference, abortion. Abortion was a common law crime at the time before the War for Independence. It was a common law crime after the War for Independence. It was a common law crime when the Constitution was ratified. It was a common law crime when the 14th Amendment was ratified. How then does it become a constitutional right outside Article 5 of the Constitution, which is the provision by which you change the Constitution? Seven justices decide, well, we need to tune it up. And so they made it, and it was a decision made by man, and that is what the issue is. Who's going to make the law? Thank you, Art. It's a, it's a great point, and I appreciate your call here on the Mark Levin Show. And, and, and it's actually basically the argument that Mark Levin himself made in his first book, Men in Black, that, that the Supreme Court has now become, and, and other branches of the judiciary, but the book is mostly about the Supreme Court, has now become so far afield from what our founders first envisioned, it's become its own legislative body. And they take their own political understandings and political biases, and they uh, vote on it. 
in the way a legislative body would, the way the Congress would, the House of Representatives or the Senate would, and they're making law themselves. But if I can uh, sum up something that you just said uh, with regard to, you know, a justice's belief system and what his faith system is and how that dictates or informs their decisions, ultimately, what does the Supreme Court do? They, they make decisions about our rights and and the conflicting rights that many of us hold and oftentimes when those rights are in conflict with each other and with the law. And ultimately, when you're making all of these decisions about our rights, at some point, shouldn't a person have to step back and answer the question, where did those rights come from? Who granted those rights in the first place? I think you need to be able to answer that question to really render some serious judgments. All right, stay on the phones. We'll take more of this important conversation about the future of our country for generations to come. The president has a choice to make about the Supreme Court. What should that choice be? 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. I'm on WMAL in Washington, D.C. every day, 3 to 6 in the afternoon. I'm, I'm his opening act in the nation's capital. I'm a backbencher. I am Mark Levin's favorite backbencher. There, I said it. I'm a backbencher, and I'm proud of it. And we're talking about the Supreme Court pick. The president needs to make a decision, and I want him to go big. I want him to go bold. Dennis in Arkansas. I'm Larry O'Connor. You're on the Mark Levin Show. Yes, sir. Uh, thank, uh, Mr. O'Connor, thank you for taking my call. Um, just want to let you know that I, I listen to WMAL with Chris Plant in the morning, but this is the first time I've listened to you, and I appreciate your your concern and your and, and the way you do things. I, I appreciate you know that. that. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, two things. Number one, uh, Mr. Trump is a fighter, and I, I want him to fight. And we out here in the flyover country, we believe that because he's a fighter, we like that, kind of like George Patton. You know, everybody loves a winner. We like fighters. Number two, if the Demo- if if they are attacking the Supreme Court to, uh, nominees, that means they don't want them, and that means we do. And Mr. Kennedy, I, I, I mean uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, you know, if 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 the Never Trumpers are for him, then I don't think we want anything to do with him. And Ms. <laughs> Ms. Barrett, I think we like that because we want solid, genuine dignified people who know what they're doing. Yeah, well said, Dennis, and thank you so much. Thanks for listening to my friend Chris Plant, too, and just just uh, keep up all the great work out there in Arkansas. We need you. Thank you for the call. But I, I think what you're saying here is, if I can just sort of sum it up, is, uh, Mr. President, they're going to hate your pick no matter what. All right? And Dick Durbin and Dianne Feinstein and Chucky and Nancy and Bernie and Pocahontas and Anderson Cooper and Rachel Maddow and Joe the Schmo Scarborough, they're all going to hate who you pick for the Supreme Court. No matter what, you can't make them happy with your pick. So if you're going to pick someone that's going to drive them nuts, if they're going to hate it no matter what, if they're going to say that you're bringing us back to the days of The Handmaid's Tale then why not pick someone who's really going to make a difference for the next 30 or 40 years who we can rely on? Amy Coney Barrett seems to be that person, from my opinion. Mr. President, you're a bold man. Make a bold move. Coming up, what do you do when your kid 
is a burnt... From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. So, well, what do you do if you're a conservative and you reach the realization, the understanding, the obvious fact, as plain as the nose on your face, that your children are all socialists. Your kids, you have raised Bernie Sanders loving, Elizabeth Warren hugging, Ben Jealous voting, Democratic socialists who don't understand anything you've been talking about for the last 20 years of your life. What do you do? How do you handle this? What happens when you realize as a conservative you've somehow raised Bernie bots? 877 I'm Larry O'Connor. I'm sitting in for Mark Levin. And I have no doubt that every single one of Mark Levin's children are cut in the mold of Ronald Reagan, Antonin Scalia, and Margaret Thatcher. I have no doubt. He did it right. He understands what he's doing. He's figured it out. He's the great one after all. Me, not so much. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, so, I, by the way, by way of introduction, you can find me on Twitter, Larry O'Connor, uh, on Facebook, Larry O'Connor's show. I, I actually do the afternoon drive show on WMAL in Washington, D.C. I'm sure you hear Mark Levin mention our radio station quite a bit. We're his local radio station, in fact. I, I am Mark Levin's favorite backbencher. Uh, he, 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 I am the afternoon drive show locally here in Washington. I get to come on right after Rush, right before Mark. It is the greatest, literally the greatest job in radio. On this station, in this town, in that time slot, envy me, Radio World. Yeah, I deserve it. And and I have four kids, all right? My oldest is 18, just graduated high school. She's going to UCLA. I'm very proud of her. Uh, my next oldest is 16. She's going to be a senior next year. She wants to go to the Naval Academy. And she's she's putting everything in line to do that. She's now at the she's already she just did the summer seminar at the Naval Academy. She wants to be a midshipman. She now just needs the uh, nomination from her congressman or senator. I'll I'll get to that in a minute because it's not pretty. Uh, and then I've got a 13 year old son who starts eighth grade next year, and then I have an 11 year old. And uh, my 11-year-old is on the autism spectrum. He's actually, uh, 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 he doesn't uh, speak. He's not, he used to say he's nonverbal, but and he is, but he actually, he communicates uh, by spelling out words on a board. It's a phenomenal thing, and I could talk about that for hours, and I would love to talk to other parents who uh, are parents of children on the autism spectrum at various levels, but that's for another time. But I can tell you right now that at least three out of four of them are socialists. They, they did one of these quizzes. Last night I was on uh, Fox News. Ed, I, I, I'm on every Wednesday night. I'm on the Shannon Bream Show, which is 11 o'clock Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. And I'm a regular on Tucker, and I do a lot of Fox News. And so the kids, uh, they live with their mother in Southern California. They live with me during the holidays, during the summers, all the time. I fly back and forth and see them all the time. We're making the divorced parent thing work, all right? And they're with me this summer. They all loaded in the car with me. Drove down to the Washington Mall after the fireworks last night, went to the Fox News Bureau, 
And while we were going, you know, we don't talk politics. I know you think that radio talk show hosts, they talk politics all the time. Uh, no, I mean, I, we don't, actually. It comes up sometimes, but, you know, I'm just a dad. We talk about all the dad stuff that dads talk about, right? And so because we're going to Fox News, my oldest, who I already knew was a card-carrying member of the Communist Party, she uh, she gets on her smartphone and she finds this app where you answer questions about what you believe. And then depending on what you believe, it says who you would vote for based on your answers to these questions. And my oldest is, she's, it's Bernie Sanders. It's all Bernie Sanders. And I'm just looking at her. She's 18. She's about to start college. Where did I go wrong? Where did I get wrong? What can I do now? Is the genie out of the bottle? Now, I know, and, and so my 13-year-old also, see, this makes sense. I have 13-year-olds, the way 13-year-olds look at the world, 13-year-olds should be socialists, right? That makes sense. That makes perfect sense to me. Now, my 16-year-old, uh, who she's almost 17, she wants to go to the Naval Academy. She actually ended up a Mitt Romney person, <laughs> which is, I guess... <laughs> I guess all things being equal, better than being a Bernie Sanders person. Uh, but I think it's because she feels pretty strongly about national defense, considering she wants to spend the next 10 years of her life as a midshipman at the academy and then a naval officer. Uh, and then my 11-year-old uh, with autism, I'm guessing he's a socialist too, just based on some of the things he's communicated to me. Now, I'm aware of the famous quote that's been attributed to people as brilliant as George Bernard Shaw to King Oscar II of Sweden to Victor Hugo to Winston Churchill, uh, that if you're not a liberal at 25, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative at 35, you have no brain. I get that. Uh, and actually, the, the specific way that uh, the King Oscar II of Sweden said it, I think is brilliant in this context. If a man is not a socialist at 20, he has no heart. But if he remains one at 30, he has no head. I think that's brilliant. That's the best way to put it. I get it. I, and so, so that makes sense to me. However, I expected more from my kids. I thought maybe just through some level of osmosis, they might actually have picked up a thing or two from dad. So I wonder, what what do you do? I know that you're in the same boat as me. I know that your kids are flying their freaky Bernie Sanders flag as high as they can. And I want to know how you're dealing with it. See, my strategy is I just figure living in the real world, getting a job, actually having to pay bills, actually, or when they reach the point where they're raising their kids, when they actually figure out how all of these ideas never actually work in the real world, they'll come around. That's my hunch. That's my guess. Now, understand something. When I was their age, Ronald Reagan was president. And and Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister of Great Britain. And the Soviet Union was a very real existential threat. And we had a very real example of socialism in the police state enforcing it, which is the only way socialism ultimately works in a diverse society, is to have the police state enforce it. We had that very real example in our lives on a daily basis. And so I was inspired by the Reagan era and the Thatcher era. So, so at least when it comes to uh, uh, the role of the federal government in our lives and taxation and government spending and government programs and uh, fiscal ideas, I've been pretty much consistently a conservative my entire life. I didn't do that whole, if you're not a socialist at 20, you have no heart thing. All right, because I had real world examples sitting there in front of me. 
But the way the conversation went last night when this came up, and I'd love to hear from you, 877-381-3811. What, what's your strategy? I started the conversation with my 18-year-old. I figured, okay, well, well let's, let's, let's do this. And I said to her, I said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, hon. Sweetie, I, I'm not going to be that dad, especially because of what I do for a living as a talk show host. You know, I'm engaged in the business of arguing these things in a pretty vociferous way, lovingly, lovingly, but passionately every day. This is what I get paid to do. The last thing I'm going to do is do that with my kid. All right. I, I, I'm not going to tell you what you should think. I'm not even going to argue with you. This is the only thing I demand. You need to make sure that if you're going to take a position, whatever position it is, you have the facts and the wisdom and the real world examples to back it up. Okay. Be a socialist. If you want, don't be a stupid socialist. Don't be a brain-dead socialist. Don't be someone who can't even speak for yourself and explain why you believe what you believe because that's unacceptable. And so I said, I said, I got one question for you. Can you point to one place on this planet in our history where these ideas have ever actually worked? One place. You have these ideas about the government, about what the government should do, about how they achieve that by high taxation, by by taxing the rich, as you say. That was one of the questions on this quiz. Do you think the rich should be taxed more? I jumped in and I said, does the question contextualize that and say how much the rich are already paying? I mean, more than what? I mean, if the rich are responsible for like 90% of the money coming into the government, how much more should they be responsible? But, you know, that's too complicated for an internet quiz Uh, and i said so show me one place on this planet where it's worked forget that show me one place in this country where it's worked that's the beauty of america states can do a lot of this stuff a lot of them have tried you've got a pretty socialist governor there in california with jerry brown how's it working out now i'll explain how that conversation went in a moment But that was my strategy, you know, engage a little bit, challenge, but ultimately sit back. I'm in it for the long haul. When I I became a dad of four children, I in no way thought this was, you know, a a short-term proposition. I'm in it for the long game, all right? I'm not just a dad of this 18, 17, 13, and 11-year-old right now. I'm a dad of a future... 50-year-old and 48-year-old and, you know, so on and so on. They're still going to be my kids, and they've got a long life to live and a lot to learn. So I'm not sweating it right now. But how are you dealing with it? 877-381-3811. Your call's next, and a little bit more about how this conversation went with my oldest. My oldest, who I now realize is probably going to be voting for Elizabeth Warren. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Really, I am. <clears throat> I'm Larry O'Connor. This is the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. My name is Larry O'Connor, and my kid is a socialist. I'm going to start a 12 step program. Parents of Socialists Anonymous. You're listening to the Mark Levin Show. Larry O'Connor filling in for Mark Levin. During the break, I got um, a text from my kid, the, the, the socialist in question here, the, the ringleader, the oldest socialist. 
Uh, and I was like, oh, darn it, I'm in trouble. Uh, thankfully, it was about something else, uh, something that, you know, she wants to, to go to New York and she wants me to pay for it. See, it's easy to be a socialist when someone else is paying for everything. <laughs> this is ex- exhibit A through Z, my kid. Right there. That's part of the problem here. Maybe I need to cut her off. Cut her off, and then we'll see how the socialist thing works out. But, uh, see, no, again, I'm in it for the long game. I'm in it for the long haul. Uh, we, we, we shall see. But what are your strategies? Because I know this is happening with you. My theory about what I do every day uh, and the topics that I bring to the table and the stuff that we talk about here is that if it's happening to me, it's probably happening to you. Because I'm just a regular guy. I'm just, you know, seriously, up until seven years ago, I was just a guy with all these ideas and opinions and had no one that would listen to them. And then through the grace of God and many other lucky breaks, I'm suddenly doing talk radio in Washington, D.C. on WMAL. So I'm not different than I was. These things are happening to me. They're happening to you, too. What do you do with your kid who's now a Bernie-loving socialist? How do you handle it? Deb in North Carolina, you are next up here on the Mark Levin Show. Hey, Larry, you're doing a great job. Thanks. Well, here's what I would say, and it's the same thing that my parents told me when they wanted me to make good decisions. Uh, You know what? We work hard for our money, and by golly, you're cut out of the will if you don't do as I say. And, um, you know, that kind of taught me to think a little bit. But um, so, so wait a minute. So you vote for Bernie, you vote for Elizabeth Warren, you're, you're a socialist, you're out of the will. Have them give yeah. you your fair share. Well, here's another tactic. So I'm, I'm a high school teacher, and I've had a lot of kids actually say this stuff to me. And so, you know, with your daughter heading off to college, I always say, well, you know, let's talk about the free college. Um, who's working for free? And I always talk about maybe the maid that's going to clean your dorm room or the cook mm. that's going to cook your food, mm. you know, that you'll have on your meal ticket, or maybe the groundskeepers. Are they working for free? And then all of a sudden it comes back to, you know, somebody has to pay for this, and it's going to be you with interest. So that brings it home a little bit better. Yeah. You know, brings it back to them a little bit better. But. But for anything, keeping kids obedient, yeah, pretty much. You know, you, I worked hard for my fortune. If you want it, you know, you you gotta you gotta you gotta make sure that uh, I'm happy with you. Deb, thanks for that. I I will try. I, you know, I like that. I do like the 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 uh, blackmail aspect of it. I guess is the best way to put it. The uh, you're out of the will. You get no money from me if you're a socialist kind of thing. Uh, get your own fair share. Uh, thank you for the call. Thank you for calling the Mark Levin Show. Uh, and, of course, listen, the ob- obviously I have had these conversations with the guy. They recognize that nothing is really for free. They recognize that someone's paying for it. The problem with these Bernie Sanders supporters is that they're fine with that because they always think it's the other guy who's paying for it. They always think that the money is coming from the rich, the rich, the rich. And what they don't understand is that, well, you know, the way they define rich, you're real close to being that rich person. Okay? It's not all about what you get. It's what you're going to have to pay for, too. And, again, show me somewhere in this world where it's worked. I mean, without being the society being forced from the end, end of a gun to give up everything. I mean, it, sure, communism, socialism works great in a totalitarian state, theoretically. But even then. 
not so much. Uh, Chris in Fairfax, uh, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. You're listening on WMAL, my home station. Hey, Chris. Hey, uh, no, I was just going to say that, you know, a lot of adolescents, you know, a lot of especially, you know, high school kids are kind of leaning towards conservative ideas now because it's kind of countercultural. You know, there's this whole kind of idea of trolling, right? And it's easy to troll, whether it's teachers or parents or any kind of authority figure that's very, you know, vocal about their, you know, ideology. And you can, you know, troll them, whether it's through memes or whatever it is, but... Yeah, it's countercultural. You're right. Yeah. You know, there's a whole Reddit culture out there uh, that, that focuses on that. And, and, and my friends over at the um, Turning Point USA, I know that they're making a, 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 a real inroads with young people, sort of being being contrary, contrary to the dogma that they hear every day from school and from cable news and all those places. You're right, Chris. I actually, and that's that's part of what I hope is going to happen with my kid. Thank you for the call. That because see, she has actually been able to maintain some positions that might surprise you when it comes to uh, politics and social issues. For instance, I've raised my children to be Catholic, and uh, thank God, somehow they have maintained their positions on the issue of abortion. You know, my daughter, as Bernie Sanders loving as she is, she is still pro-life. And I'm thinking when she gets to UCLA, more than anything, she likes to be the contrary one, the rebel. The When she sees all the nutbags on that campus, I'm thinking she might say, I, I'm not with these people. I mean, I, I might agree with some of their ideas, but certainly not their tactics. And that might, might turn her around a little bit. If the world seems so confusing, Mark will be glad to clear that up for you. Call him now at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. And, of course, you want to go to MarkLevinShow.com and follow Mark at MarkLevinShow on Twitter and Facebook. That's what I do to see what's on the great one's mind every day. And mostly just to avoid certain topics because I know I'm going to be on three hours right before him on WMAL in Washington. It's like, oh, okay, Levin's got that covered. I don't have to talk about that. I'll talk about this today. And, and well, this is one of those things that I like to talk about because I've got four kids and being a father is a passion of mine. I mean, you shouldn't be a father unless you're passionate about it. And uh, I, as a good red-blooded conservative Republican uh, growing up in the Reagan era and now a talk show host, I have faced the realization that I've raised a bunch of commies, and I just want to know what you do about it. See, my instinct is they'll come around. They'll come around when they live in the real world. They'll get there. I understand why my 13-year-old agrees with Bernie Sanders. I mean, Bernie Sanders' ideas about the world are pretty much at the level of a 13-year-old, so it makes sense to me. A little more concerned about the 18-year-old who's about to go to college, but I also think college might actually sort of correct some of that. Uh, being exposed to the extremes that she's going to see on a UC campus, especially in La La Land, I think that, that that might actually make a difference, too. But what about you? I know that you're faced with this. How have you confronted it? How have you dealt with it? Do you, do you take it head on? Do you actually start engaging? Or, you know, these are your kids, after all. Do you just sort of let them discover it on their own? They're going to get there. You just need to give them the foundation, the principles, the understanding, and the path to find the right way in life, but ultimately they need to find it. 
right? And by the way, boy, has this resonated with women. So many women are calling in and wanting to jump on board with this, and I am really gratified to see that, too. Let's go to Joan in Colorado. Joan, you are next up. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Hey, um, I am from a large extended Catholic family, and I can tell you what, even though I don't have any children of my own, I got nephews and nieces, and some of those are really showing to be leaning that direction, yeah. like your kids. Yeah. And I will say what, what, what I do is I just point them to some conservative bloggers that are reasonable, logical, and use facts to back up their argument, like Ben Shapiro and some of those other folks. Yeah, you know, it's, just have them read that stuff. it's so funny you should say that. I know a lot of people are saying, you know, there's so many great uh, uh, young millennial conservatives of their generation who will really appeal to them, which which makes sense. But here, here's what's weird about that, Joan. Bernie Sanders is 74 years old. You know, he's he's not 28. And yet somehow they, they love his ideas. He doesn't have to be young. Well, it's, it's not just that. It's just. You know, he he sort of was um, allowed to kind of do his thing, where sometimes the conservatives are blocked, yeah. right, from college campuses. Well, like things. like the aforementioned Ben Shapiro. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, Joan, thank you for that. It's so funny you should mention Ben. Ben is a friend of mine. Uh, if you listen to the beginning of the program, I talk quite a bit about my early days working with Andrew Breitbart. And Ben and I, actually Ben and I were together the day that Andrew passed away. Uh, he'll always be like family to me because of what we went through there. And it's so funny, you know, I <laughs> just just yesterday with my kids in the car as we were as as we were having this conversation be, before they started doing the whole, you know, oh, gosh, I'm a Bernie person thing with their little app. Uh, that's it. They did. That's how we got to this is that they were answering questions. What do you believe? And you answer questions and then the app will tell you who you should vote for. Uh, I know this is somehow funded by George Soros. But before that, you know, we turned on my radio station here in Washington, WMAL, and Ben Shapiro was on. And I said, oh, you guys should listen to this guy. You know, and then they know that that I've known Ben for a long time. Listen to this. And we happened to tune into Ben. <laughs> oh, gosh. He was, he was criticizing the Jay-Z Beyonce video that just came out. And God bless Ben. I love him. I think he's so smart. And I really do like Ben. He's like family to me. But culturally... Pop culturally, he is a 97-year-old man. I'm sorry. I, I picked the exact worst time to tune into Ben Shapiro with my kids in the car. Hey, I want you to listen to this guy. He's young. A lot of young people like him. And here he is doing the, that Beyonce and Jay-Z should get off my lawn. You know, they, I kid you not. Ben Shapiro has said to me, I think he's even written about this. The Beatles, those kids are overrated. They should get a haircut. <laughs> the I, We've debated. I My origins are in musical theater. I used to work in the theater business before I got into this, not as an actor, uh, in production in New York and uh, in management. And he, he really, he truly thinks that the last great musical was King and I. He, he is in the Stone Ages, culturally. So that so I think, sadly, the Ben Shapiro tactic is not going to work since their first exposure to Shapiro was him going after Jay-Z and Beyonce like the, uh, like the 97-year-old man that he is. How about Sandy in Texas? Sandy, you're on the Mark Levin Show. You're just like uh, the Sandy the Squirrel from Texas on uh, SpongeBob. Has anyone ever told you that? Uh, no, never oh, right. seen SpongeBob. Well, in SpongeBob SquarePants, there's a character named Sandy the Squirrel, and she's from Texas. I've already wasted way too much of your time, Sandy. Go ahead, make your point. Okay, first off, with 
Ben Shapiro wasn't what I came on with, but you need to introduce your kids to Ben Shapiro through um, Saving Ferris Bueller or anyway. Okay. What I was going to say about uh, your kids, your daughter and, uh, you know, her ideas about letting the rich pay for it. One of the first things I did with my son, who was my second one, my oldest one was conservative, much more conservative than I was at, at her age. She was uh, not pro-choice, and she was just right down the line exactly where I was. But anyway, um, what you ask them is, is when they talk about the rich paying for everything, the first question that anybody should ask, just not a young person, is define rich. Yeah. Because when you get into it, people, everybody assumes rich is not them. Yeah. It's somebody. But when you get into it, it turns out that rich is a whole lot of people that aren't expecting to be rich. Oh, yeah. The other thing that, the other thing that I did with my kids is as soon as they started driving, they got a checking account. And they got a paycheck on the day I got paid. And it was sufficient amount to pay for all their needs and whatever they wanted to do and their golf money and all that stuff. But they had to budget, and I also took out taxes and took out uh, Social Security withholding. Oh, wow. You were, you were like, you had your own HR department there, Sandy. Had, uh, just to help them understand yeah. what it was like. And then my son, you know, uh, like a year later, he went and got another job. He went and got his own job. But, you know, <laughs> But That's really, hilarious. What I did with my daughter was, is on payday, she would have to have like an essay for whatever scholarship she was applying for. And if I didn't have that essay, she didn't get that paycheck because that was her job description. Oh. I even had her call me at work one time, where's my check? And I said, where's my essay? And I made her fax it to me at work. And then I told her which book her paycheck was tucked inside of at home. <laughs> All right, so, things they they were already well versed and not bouncing checks by the time they moved to college and they also understood that rich very well could mean them Thank Very you, Sandy. Good. That's br- that's great stuff. Sandy, Sandy you got to write a book uh, called How to Raise a Capitalist. This is brilliant stuff, and I appreciate the call. I do, and, and look up Sandy the Squirrel uh, from from SpongeBob SquarePants. I, I think she's 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 feisty like you, Sandy. I, trust me, it was a compliment. I promise you. I think I insulted. I think she thinks I insulted her, but I didn't. Helene in Philadelphia, Mark Levin's hometown of Philadelphia. Fly Eagle Fly. You're on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hi, Larry. You're doing Hi. a great job. Thanks. Um, so I am calling because my daughter was kind of raised conservative. My entire family is conservative. But she always tried to play down the middle, be open-minded. And she ended up going to the National Theater Institute, Eugene O'Neill National Theater Institute, last semester up in Connecticut. And she found intolerance to the point she couldn't even describe it. Mm. The kids, not the staff, the kids were so intolerant. It, that she ended up calling me saying, Mom, I know what you're talking about, about intolerance. It was really learning experience for her you know helene you're very lucky because oftentimes in that it's so funny you should mention the theater school because the kid i'm talking about uh my daughter quinn she went to the los angeles high school of the arts she was like the you know fame the movie fame she went to the la version of that and 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 you're right she has called that out as i mentioned she likes to sort of be the contrary voice and she has seen that as well she she uh you know she had the opportunity to go to berkeley and some of these other places and she purposely said no i i'm I'm not going to do that because they're nuts so there is there's a glimmer of hope there helene we'll we'll see how it how it manifests thank you for that um wait whole lot of theater conversation going on now 
on the Mark Levin show. I could, boy, could I talk about Les Miserables for hours. That's that's my old life. I used to work on Broadway in New York, but that's a story for another time. Joe in New York, WABC. Joe, you are next up on the Mark Levin show. Hey, Larry, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Are your kids socialists? <laughs> well, here's the thing. So my daughter was uh, 3.9 in her class. Um, and there was a couple of girls that she didn't really like who were doing, I don't know, 2.6 kind of average, you know, C-plus averages. So one day I said to her, when she was defending Bernie Sanders, I said, why don't you go to your teacher and see if you could take some of your average and give it to those girls that aren't doing that well. And she said, what are you talking about? I'm working hard. I said, I, that's what you're trying to promote. You know, this is like a dumbed-down version of what you're trying to promote, but... You want people who work hard to do things for people who aren't working that hard. She got the message. Yeah, Joe, yeah, I've tried that. You know, she maybe it's because I'm the dad and she sees through those tactics, you know, because I get it. I know. I mean, this, and it's obvious. That's the problem, Joe. Haven't you noticed that every time you shine the light on the on the illogic of socialist theory, every time you actually try to play this out and explain how none of it actually works in the real world, they still deny that. They're still it's it's a dogma. It's actually amazing that logic doesn't work. It's, yeah. it's I, I'm still waiting to figure out how to fight it, but you're right. All right, it man. It doesn't work. Well, we're in the same boat, Joe. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for calling in there from WABC in New York. Uh, and by the way, I just because I, now I feel bad because I realize, listen, we're, we're, we're on right now on the great KRLA in Los Angeles. My kids live most of the year in Southern California. So I'm afraid, you know, maybe some of my, uh, their, their parents are listening and stuff and they know who we're talking about here. She's not a completely and totally lost cause. She, you couldn't find a more anti-Hillary person during the last election cycle. She hated Hillary Clinton, okay? She looked at the old... We all do owe a bit of gratitude to Bernie Sanders for that primary process because because my kid found all these videos that the Bernie people were pushing showing what a complete and bogus, hypocrite, liar, two-faced scam Hillary Clinton was, and that's all she needed to see. And so she's she's still... To this day, if I mention Hillary, it's like it's like somebody, you know... Uh, uh, broke wind in the car so so she's not a total lost cause i'm telling you she's gonna get there that's why i keep playing the long game with her i said i will continue this conversation in a bit because it's it's too fun and frankly too educational i mean here we are having a conversation about socialism and everything that's wrong with it but it's in the context of our kids and if there's anything more important well i'm not so sure there is i mean if we can't figure out a way to make sure that our kids aren't caught up in the romance of the lie that is what's now called democratic socialism and how the media is pushing it as, uh, you know, the the new idea that's going to sweep our country when it's an old idea that has only swept other countries into poverty and worse, then, you know, this is the conversation we've all got to be having with each other every day about our future, and our future is going to be manifest in how our kids are raised, Right. So uh, so keep it here as we continue this very important conversation, but hopefully in a pretty fun way. I'm Larry O'Connor, and this is The Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin.
Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. He's back on Monday, and of course, you can follow everything he does on social media at Mark Levin Show, Twitter, Facebook, MarkLevinShow.com. You know, you got to take a moment when you have the opportunity uh, sitting in this big chair behind this big microphone to, of course, thank Mark. Uh, and I do deeply from the bottom of my heart thank him. He is a friend, and I've been fortunate enough to get to know him over the years that I've been here in Washington on WMAL, and uh, that you won't find a kinder, more supportive person in this business, in a very cutthroat business. And I know that probably hurts his reputation, but uh, but he is the best. He truly is the great one, and I appreciate uh, this opportunity that he's given me. Uh, and he deserves to be in that Radio Hall of Fame more than anyone else I know. Uh, so, so thank you, Mark Levin, so much, and uh, and I appreciate it. And and it's just an amazing thing when you have this opportunity. You know, I'm a kid from Detroit who, as a teenager, moved to Orange County, California, and then I worked in New York City uh, in the theater business, as I mentioned, which led me to Los Angeles. I continued to work. I managed the Schubert in Los Angeles uh, and worked with a lot of people in the entertainment business, and I started and raised my family there, and then I found myself here in Washington and now uh, three hours into doing the Mark Levin show, I've got people all over my social media, all over my Facebook, uh, who I haven't talked to since I was 10 years old in Michigan, in Detroit, uh, reaching out saying, yeah, I hear you, you're great. And it's just, um, it's an amazing thing to see what uh, the power and the influence that the Mark Levin show has in this great nation. And it, it gives me hope, actually. So uh, it's it's great to be a part of this today, and I thank you all for that. And if you do want to follow my work, I, I write at the Washington Times. I'm on WMAL in Washington, D.C., and you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook, Larry O'Connor. Uh, that's with an O-R. Uh, so but please do. I, I'm very open and communicative and, and do a lot of back and forth with the people on social media, and I would love to, to touch base with you. Uh, so let's continue this conversation about my commie kids uh, the fact that I'm a conservative and the Reagan model, and I seem to have raised at least three out of four socialists. Now what? Tara in New Jersey. Tara, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. Hi, Larry. Thank hey. you so much for... Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Thanks, for filling in, thanks for filling in for Mark. You're doing such a good job. Thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot. Uh, I have three kids, or one of them. I, I Two out of three, I think, are okay, but my middle one is... Um, he said, oh, Mom, I registered as a Democrat in Philadelphia. Oh. So I know. And he said, well, I did it for, you know, he gets the economics. He's, oh, I did it for social reasons and so forth. So what I do, my strategy, I just let it be. Yeah. I honestly, I don't threaten him to take him out of will. I don't try to argue with him. I just let him speak. I go, let, let, explain what you mean. Explain your views. Just let it be. I mean, to me, I feel like, you know, he's a smart kid. Eventually, he'll either get it or he won't. They'll get there, it's though. Not yeah. worth my relationship with him. Do you see what I'm saying? So, I do, T- Tara. Thank you. See, that's that's my instinct too. They'll get there. We've laid the groundwork. the The foundation is there. They know the path. They 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 need to get there. And you know how it is with kids. You push them down that road, they'll do whatever they can to to find another road to go down. If you push too hard, Tara. Thank you for that and for the kind words. Uh, John in California, you're on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hello, Mr. O'Connor, and and welcome, and you're doing a great job. Thank you. Best best solution I heard, and I've used it a couple of times with my daughter, pay them to watch PragerU videos. Oh, yeah, the great Dennis Prager. So, wait, you're paying the socialist to watch, and they'll take the money. See, John, I love it. The hypocrites. The hypocrite socialists 
are so sure about their ideas, but you throw a couple of, you know, greenbacks in front of them and then they're fine. I'm Larry O'Connor. Thanks for listening. It's the Mark Levin Show.